0: Welcome, you're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. All right, as I said, we are uh, in week three of this uh, uh, series of June Arts Month. In our first week, we asked the question, why art? And we discovered that human creativity is hardwired into us by God, it is mandated to us by God, and then it's blessed and encouraged by God. And then last Sunday, we asked the question, why emotion? And Pastor Mike, I would say, got quite emotional, sharing uh, with us the importance of emotion and the role in its relationship that we have with Jesus. Today, we're asking the question, why story? Why does the concept of story matter to living an artful faith? So, as we begin, I want to ask a quick little question here. How many of you read... Bedtime stories to the little ones in your life. A number of us, okay. Um, now, it's been a long time since my kids were little, but back then I typically uh, wouldn't read bedtime stories. I'd, I'd make them up. We'd lay in the dark in their rooms and I would just start spinning a tall tale of some kind. It's, it's really easy. All you have to do is say, once upon a time, and then just let it go from there. For Eric and Justin, there was a collection of made-up stories involving two First Nations children named Shoot Arrow and one Arrow. And these two young brothers lived with their mom and dad near the river, near the forest, near the mountains. And I would tell them these fantastical stories about meeting cute bear cubs or smelly skunks or just learning how to live in harmony with the world. For Rachel and Paige... Their most popular stories were the secret adventures of their two guinea pigs, Goldilocks and Leo. Every night I would tell the twins tall tales of how Goldilocks and Leo would wait until our family was asleep. And then they would take their secret elevator down to their secret underground apartment under the house. And then they would drive off in their secret little Barbie car to have all sorts of adventures. (laughs) The fun thing about making up stories is that they were interactive Occasionally, I would just ask the kids, well, what do you think should happen next? And that would propel the story forward. Of course, embedded in these stories were lessons on morality, integrity, loyalty, bravery, work ethic, and learning to love God and others. Stories are important. Stories are how we frame the consequential aspects of our lives and how we find meaning for ourselves. In ancient cultures, the storyteller was a venerated and necessary role. Storytellers were the chroniclers, the librarians, the moralizers, the entertainers, the holders of genealogy and history and truth. For the longest time, my uh, wife Debbie was a scrapbooker. How many of you are scrapbookers? They're the ones that want to admit it. Good. Good. It's a, it's a cult, you know. It's, it is. Anyways, I used to poke gentle fun at Deb because she would spend a lot of time cutting out dies, and gluing tiny pieces and binding these scrapbooks together. Until one day, I had an epiphany. I thought about, what would happen if our house caught on fire? You know, what would I prioritize as the one thing that I would take out of that burning house? And then I thought, dang it, I would probably be taking out those scrapbooks. I realized then that Deb was our tribal storyteller. She was the history keeper of our family. And those scrapbooks were one of the main ways that our family told the story of us. Well, we all have a story. Our story arc says something about us, either something meaningful or meaningless. And as we live our lives, we're all in the process of writing that next chapter of our stories. This is what it means to be a human being. So each of us has the potential to tell a magnificent story. So today I'm going to be sharing four concepts with you. The redemption story, the meta narrative story, the importance of knowing your own story, and then finally the gospel story. But before we go any further, would you join me in prayer? Father God, you are the author of days. You are the author of all of our stories. Um, Lord, uh, teach us this morning through your Holy Spirit. And um, allow us to be open to you as you mold us and make us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm going to do a little thought experiment. Um, and And invite you to join me in it. I want you to think of a story. It could be a book you've read. A movie you've watched recently, even a fairy tale or a children's book or something, some story. The only prerequisite is that it has to be meaningful to you. Okay? Everyone think of a story. Got one? Okay. I'm going to ask a couple of you to name it out loud. What is it? Name the story that you were thinking about. Somebody? What's that? Babar the Elephant. Babar the Elephant? Awesome. Someone else? The giving wedding? The wedding? I'm not familiar with that one. Yes. The giving tree. The giving tree. Good. Someone else? The Hobbit. The Hobbit. Awesome. One more. Cry the Beloved Country. Well, I don't know that one. Say it again? Cry the Beloved Country. Cry the Beloved Country. Okay. Now, um, for those of the you who know who these this, these stories I want you to notice something. Just about each one of the stories that you guys have mentioned was a story of redemption. A story of of reconciliation or acceptance. I believe that this is because we're all human. And in the depths of our souls, we know we're in desperate need of redemption ourselves. Our society is full of redemption stories. We're drawn to them. Be it Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or Hans Christian Andersen's Ugly Duckling, or Les Miserables. Disney knows this, and they even turned it into a formula. Dumbo is a classic tale of a young elephant ostracized by society because he didn't fit in, but through a remarkable series of events, he redeems himself and becomes the most beloved elephant in the circus. Or how about Pinocchio, a classic tale of a puppet ostracized by society because he didn't fit in, but through a remarkable series of events, he redeems himself and becomes the beloved son of his toymaker father. Or how about Aladdin, the classic tale of a poor street rat ostracized by society because he didn't fit in, but through a remarkable series of events, he redeems himself and becomes the prince of the land. Or how about Frozen, etc., 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 well, you get the picture. The Bible... Two is full of redemption stories. Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Ruth. Even the nation Israel is a redemption story, for Israel is the prodigal people. Each of these real people had their stories, had their walks in the desert, and their times of forsakenness, had their time of reflection and returning, had their time of acceptance and redemption. And there is a reason for this, I believe. God is in the business of redeeming people. Probably the most famous of Jesus' parables is the story of the prodigal son. In my opinion, this parable is the archetype of the redemption story. Now, to give you a little context for the parable, by this time in Jesus' ministry, large crowds were following him wherever he preached. Some of the Pharisees began to complain that Jesus was fraternizing and eating with these so called sinners. So, Jesus, within earshot of these teachers of the law, shares a few quick parables the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, also known as the prodigal son. And this parable can be found in the book of Luke, chapter 15. Um, verses 11 to 24, you can find it in page 1048 in your Bibles. Let's all stand to receive the word of God. Beginning in verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, And is alive again. He is lost. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile the older son was in the field. When he came near the house he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. To you me be seated. Now, I find this to be a profoundly beautiful story. Jesus, the master storyteller, paints a picture of the coming kingdom before sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees. This parable speaks of a love that is grace-filled and lavish and extravagant. And it reaches down into our most inherent need to feel unconditional love and inner healing and intimacy. It captures in us a hope that not is all lost. All is not faint stumbling in the darkness. But take a look at this story in a little more detail. How many stories are really being told here? I see the story of a son who was lost and now is found. But I also see the story of a wealthy father whose real wealth lay in his ability to forgive. And I also see an older brother, one who understands the law but doesn't quite understand grace. Now, personally, I own all of these stories. I have been the prodigal. And I've been the prodigal's father. And I've been the prodigal's brother, too. Consider each of the uh, characters' backstories, the complexity of the relationships between them, the lives they lived that led to this apex of mixed emotions that they must have felt. I just marvel at Jesus' ability to tell truth with such creativity and artistry. This is a painting by Rembrandt known as Return of the Prodigal Son. It was painted in 1669. And I just want you to reflect on this as I continue to talk here. Henry Nouwen recounts in his book of the same name a spiritual encounter that he had while viewing this painting. So deep was his experience on, uh, that he embarked on a pilgrimage of sorts to St. Petersburg to see the original painting live. And in his journey, he came uh, face-to-face with the startling truth of Jesus' parable here. He recounts this. When I saw the Rembrandt poster for the first time in the fall of 1983, all my attention was drawn to the hands of the old father, pressing his returning boy to his chest. I saw forgiveness, reconciliation, healing. I saw safety, Rest, being at home. I was so deeply touched by this image of the life-giving embrace of father and son because everything in me yearned to be received in the way the prodigal was received. That encounter turned out to be the beginning of my own return. There's power in the redemption story. And incidentally, this is where art comes in because the role of the arts is to tell the story and the role of the Christian arts is to tell the story of redemption painters redeem the white canvas with lines and colors writers redeem the blank, blank page with words and ideas actors redeem the empty stage with dialogue and movement creatives redeem these empty spaces with expressions of redemption madeline langle knew this and she stated this, to paint a picture or write a story or to compose a song is an incarnational activity. For it is a fleshing out of our faith. And this is why this parable is so important. The essence, essence of it is this. Each of us is a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. Each of us is either in the process of cooperating with or rebelling against God's redemptive hand, in our lives for most of us the story of the prodigal is our story now i need to introduce a concept to you now known as the meta narrative and it's a very big word i've looked at it so much now i you know how sometimes it gets lost and you don't it doesn't look right anymore so i'm not going to stop looking at it now but meta narrative can be defined as this an overarching account or interpretation of events and circumstances that provides a pattern or structure for people's beliefs and gives meaning to their experiences. Randy, I saw that yawn. You better stop that. (laughs) In other words, um, a a meta-narrative is the larger story that gives meaning to all other stories. It's like a narrative about narratives, a grand story that connects all the other stories together. So let me give you an example of that. And the example is the prevailing modern secular meta-narrative. The world's story, in other words. And that modern secular meta-narrative is that mankind is this accident that occurred as a result of a series of circumstances over the vastness of time and space. Mankind evolved into what it is today, and we sit on a quite incidental ball in a quite incidental solar system, in a relatively small galaxy all suspended in the vastness of an ever expanding universe and your life and my life and all of our lives are tiny little small blips in the infinity of it all so if there's any meaning to life at all it's up to each of us to try to figure it out to try to create it that is the modern secular meta narrative now what is the christian meta narrative Well, it's the story of the universe, and it is God's story. God is at the center of all creation, self-existent and almighty and eternal. And by his very nature, he causes all things to be and also sustains it by the mere act of his will. He made us, he loves us, and he gives us not only life, but meaning as well. Our stories are small, but they are consequential in his vast and eternal meta-narrative, It's like each of our lives is like this little strand of thread that has been carefully woven into the fabric of time to create this beautiful tapestry. And God is the maker of that tapestry. And in spite of us, God loves us enough to slowly but surely act upon his universe, redeeming us and all of creation. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty cool story. The Christian meta-narrative can be explained in three acts. Creation, fall, and redemption. From Genesis to the end of eternity, these three acts of creation, fall, creation, fall, and eternity, and redemption are played out. And because each of our small little stories fits into the bigger story, each of our prodigal stories can also be described in the same way creation, fall, and redemption. When Jesus arrived, he came to a fallen world. His creation had fallen to sin. But his presence and his actions were a declaration that the third act, the redemption act, had begun. And that third act is all about God's saving grace. Um, Take a look at the prodigal story one more for a second. Creation, fall, and redemption all exist in here. If you look at chapter 15, 11, and 12, that is creation. There was a man who had two sons. And then the fall begins in verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And then redemption happens, beginning in verse 21. The son said to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So, and I want to uh, uh, double back a little bit and look at verse 20. This is where the prodigal changes the trajectory of his life. So he got up and went to his father. It was as simple as that. He got up and went to his father. And after that, his life was never the same. I really want you to understand this, uh, this three-act thing because the human secular worldview is essentially a two-act play, creation and fall. There's nothing after the fall except to hold on with bare knuckles to the end. Think about the majority of TV series that are out there now, all the ones that people tend to binge watch. The vast majority of these series have a dark streak, dystopian, dysfunctional, Apocalyptic, unresolved, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead, Westworld, Black Mirror, Squid Games. It's only creation and fall. Ultimately, there's no redemption, no reconciliation, no hope. The gospel is unique in that the Christian meta narrative ends with the grace filled redemptive movement of God upon the universe, drawing all things back to his glory. Truly, this is the most beautiful of all stories to tell. As we say around here, all of history converges in Christ, and everything changes in the light of his coming. So, here's my question to you. Is your story part of God's story? Are you allowing God to write that third act, that act of redemption? And this brings me to my third point, which is this. You need to know your own story. Now, here at Oak Hills, we believe that knowing your story is an essential aspect of growing in your spiritual formation. To know your story is to dig deep into understanding the deformations of your soul and the dysfunctions of your relationships and your past so that these things, these wrong things, don't define who you are. We believe fully that spiritual formation for the Christ follower is not optional, but it is critical with your life with Christ that's why we preach on formation we teach on formation we offer classes and resources and people to help you with it and knowing your story is an essential part of that formation but let me tell you it's hard work let me tell you a little bit about my own story at some point in my life I found myself stuck there were character flaws that I couldn't work through on my own Blind spots that others saw that I, did, could, I could not see. So I entered into some counseling. Some tough, soul-bearing counseling. Through it, I was able to work through some toxic lies that I believed about myself. Like, I'm only good if I accomplish great things. Or the root of my performance addictions. Or my fairly sophisticated system of criticism management. Over the course of time and through the grace of God, I was able to begin to rewrite my story. You see, we're healed by understanding our own stories. Self-knowledge helps you see yourself as God sees you, which actually is the only true version of you anyway. Donald Miller contends that The elements of a good movie are also the elements of a well-lived life. Are you living the best version of your life? Are you living your best story? For God, for you, and for the people around you. Well, Oak Hills has um, formation resources that can help you enter into the process of better knowing your story. We have Journey, which we talk about a lot here. It's an intense program that provides a process of soul-deepening with other Christ-followers. Journey helps you discover who God is, who you are, and what God wants to do through you. A key portion of this program is helping you write the story of your life and to discover God's hand in it. So, look for information meetings in August and a start date in the latter part of September for the next Journey session And you can contact the church office for more info. See how I slid that commercial in there? That's good. We also have refocus retreats. These are short weekend events that help small groups of people focus on one little aspect of their spiritual formation. Recent refocus retreats have focused on identity, on spiritual gifts, and on the Enneagram, which deals with understanding your personality. The next official refocus will be in October, so stay tuned for that. We also have uh, spiritual directors. These are companions who can help you discern God's movement and will in your life and encourage you to grow in your relationship with God, self, and others. They can help you to see your story differently and help you discern your next chapter. You can go... To our website under the resources tab and see more about what that whole spiritual director thing is all about. One last thing about knowing your own story. Your story is a powerful thing. Your life testimony, both spoken and lived out, is the most important missional thing that you have. It's one thing to tell a person about Jesus. It's another entirely to share with someone the difference Jesus has made and is making In your life right now. So, know your story and share your story. Which brings me to my final point. The gospel story. As I was preparing this message, it occurred to me that perhaps there may be a few of you here this morning who've heard these terms. Gospel or good news or kingdom of God. And you might have an understanding of what it is or you might have a little bit of a misunderstanding of what it means. So I thought I would close the message this morning by simply sharing the good news of the kingdom of God with you. Share the gospel story, as it will, as plainly and as clearly as I can. So here I go. God is a loving God who loves us deeper than we could ever imagine. And his original intent for us was to live in complete harmony with him for all eternity. That's what the Garden of Eden was all about, a place where we can commune with him and him with us. But it all went awry. You see, in order to have a mutually loving relationship with us human beings, God gave us the gift of choice. He gave us the capacity to make our own decisions about our lives, to have free will. For God knew that love isn't truly love unless it's given freely. But we all know what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve used their gift of choice poorly. You see, with free will comes the ability to do the wrong thing. To be self-centered and cruel and unjust. To sin. To even deny the creator who made you. And the result of all this is that everything tragic that you see today, from domestic violence to world wars... From disease to murder is as a result of man's direct or indirect sin. In fact, the Bible acknowledges that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even those of us who try on a regular basis to be good all on our own. And like a parent heartbroken at seeing their teenage son or teenage daughter make bad decisions about their lives, God grieves the sins of this world. For the wages of sin is death. But that's where God's perfect love and faithfulness come in. That's the reason why Jesus came. Because although the Bible says the wages of sin is death, it also says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so God in his infinite wisdom and love initiated Act 3. He sent his only son to earth to be born as a baby, to live as a human, to undergo all of the physical and emotional things us mortals go through. And yet he lived a life that was sinless and beyond reproach. While he was here, Jesus proclaimed an amazing invitation, the good news, to live in the kingdom of God in the present, now, and eternally, forever. And then Christ allowed himself to be crucified on the cross as a sacrifice, as a payment for the sins of mankind, both past, present, and future, once and for all. But Jesus was not just a man, he was also God. And thus on the third day, after he died and was entombed, he arose again in bodily form. And in doing so, he demonstrated that he had dominion over death. For about 40 days after his death, he physically appeared to his disciples and many other people, instructing them to spread the news of his present kingdom for all those who would believe in him and make him the Lord of their lives. And so the Son of God showed that he was truly God the Son. Now, I don't know why God chose to do it this way. I don't know why Jesus had to go through all the torture and the pain, all the loneliness... And the temptations that human beings feel. They feel the nails driven into his hands. I don't know why he loves us so much. What I do know is that his invitation is open to everyone. To all people. Now, a kingdom is not necessarily a place or a physical location. A kingdom is best defined as any place that a king Has reign. So the kingdom doesn't necessarily refer to heaven. To live in the kingdom of God is to say that God reigns in you. That's the invitation offered to us to live under the loving, grace filled, benevolent rule of the God of the universe through our friend and our Savior and our Lord Jesus. And this is not just when you die, it begins now in the present tense. Remember, I said that God gave us all free will. And he is a great respecter of that privilege all the way to the end. So God ultimately allows your will to be done. If it was your desire to live and to learn to live routinely and easily in God's presence and rule, you won't have any trouble living with him now and into eternity. But... If you decide to live a life now that avoids or denies or opposes God's will, you're going to find it very, very difficult, I would say impossible, to suddenly try to live in his presence and rule for all eternity. So God gives you the choice. But here's the good part. Just like the prodigal son we were talking about, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past doesn't matter what you've done yesterday or a hundred years ago. Forgiveness and redemption is available to you right now. Just like the prodigal's father, God is ready to take you in his arms and celebrate your return. So, that's the gospel story. The good news. I hope you make it your story too. Now, for many of you, Living in the kingdom is kind of a hit-and-miss thing. And for that, you might need to recommit to some aspect of purposeful living in the kingdom. For a few of you, your life has never been lived under the kingdom of Jesus. No matter where you are spiritually, you can say a prayer with me, and you can make that difference. As, as we said in back in Luke 15, 20, the thing that change the trajectory of the prodigal's life was one thing. So he got up and went to his father. So, I invite you to pray a prayer with me now. A prodigal prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you really are who you are. You are... um, The creator God, the sustainer God, the God who loves us. And in this story, God, you are the author of days. Like the prodigal son, we confess that we have lived our life poorly. That there are things that we have done that are contrary to your will and to your ways. And like the prodigal, we want to walk back into your house walk back into your arms and so God we receive the gift of grace that you give to us and we surrender to your lordship we want your will to be done in us Lord restore us to who you intend us to be Lord heal our hurts abate our fears take away our shame we invite you to rewrite our story. Help us Lord to live the best version of our lives. best version of our story. And we ask this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.